Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Policy Matters podcast. Today, we are going to be discussing AI and employment as sort of a level-setting conversation about one of the biggest topics that is happening in the LME world right now. And we have some pretty fundamental and sound policy coming from both a state legislature in New York, which our great friend Rob Siva, who's been on this podcast now for the third time. So welcome back, Rob. We'll speak to the AI initiatives and legislation that's actually happening in New York City right now that's being considered. And Mr. Scroggins here is also joining us, and he is our expert on the EEOC initiative regarding AI and employment as well. Um, Just to give sort of the audience a little bit of a taste of what this will entail is this will be a bit of a broader conversation kicking off what we hope to be a series discussing all the various initiatives popping up across the nation regarding decisions and employment based on AI or just AI's involvement in employment whatsoever or legislative attempts to define what AI is in general. It's interesting to me, at least, because I just did a podcast on the Federal Trade Commission's uh, notice of proposed rulemaking on non-competes. And there's also a bill that was recently introduced in Congress. So similar to that issue, we're seeing the AI and employment issue being addressed, not just through state legislatures. I think this is going to get to Congress eventually, but we'll hold for, I don't know, five years for that. But it's not coming just through state legislatures, but it's also coming through, you know, federal agencies and state agencies, i.e. the EEOC. So uh, to that end, let's just kick it off by starting with you, Rob. Just what's happening in New York? What are they trying to do and how are they trying to get their arms around what AI and employment actually is? Hey, Scott. Well, thanks for having me back. I I really appreciate the opportunity to come back and, uh, you know, do a round three of discussion. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting. New York City is sort of on the forefront nationally, if not globally, on trying to dive into the regulation of artificial intelligence in employment decisions. More broadly, what the New York law is effectively trying to do, and this is a super you know, high level in a nutshell kind of simplistic overview, is the New York City law is trying to identify things that it considers automated employment decision tools. Once those are identified, employers will be required to conduct a bias audit of such tools on an annual basis post those results publicly and give applicants for employment and employees notice that such tools are being utilized. That's fundamentally what the law is is trying to target as far as, you know, what employers' obligations exist and, and how AI is being regulated. Part of the challenge, of course, is at every step of what I just said, there's definitions involved. What is AI? What is an employment employment decision tool? What is a bias audit? Who conducts a bias audit? What data has to be audited? What are what should the results of the audit be? The list goes on. So far, I can say that for the last over a year and a half at this point, because the law was actually passed in 2021 by the city council, uh, the New York Department of Consumer and Worker Protection is entrusted with enforcement and regulation under this law, uh, and they've been working on that ever since. They've had multiple hearings and are now on their, I believe, second draft of proposed regulations and definitions. So there's a lot of things in the works. Right now, the law is technically in effect, but enforcement on the uh, department side is stayed until April 15th while some of these questions get ironed out. And I can tell you, no, it's... 
ask you about enforcement because that's like that's precisely what everybody that's listening cares about. It's like, oh, this is great, but when are they coming knock it, right? So that's interesting to hear that they haven't. Do you do you know if there's any kind of timetable about when they will specifically start enforcing that measure? You know as much as I know at this point, Scott. You know, right now <laughs> the date that it's deferred until is April fifteenth. That date may get extended, may not. Uh, it's unclear. But we do have a second round of, of regulations. There's additional feedback. There may be additional revisions. There may be additional time. It's, it's really unclear at this point. But, you know, we, we understand that they are actively working on it. We're about two months out still. So, you know, even if regulations come out today and define some of those terms, you know, what has to be audited? What is a bias audit? Who's doing it? What are the results? What happens with those results? Even if that all comes out today, I would expect that a lot of employers would still have a, a scramble to meet those definitions and to figure out, you know, what tools have to be audited, find an auditor, do all that stuff in a two month time frame. Not the least of which is the AI audit requirement or the, the, the bias audit requirement really focuses on characteristics such as race, gender, and ethnicity. And, you know, a lot of employers have, have noted that that's not necessarily data that they have readily available or collected in the regular course of their employment dealings. Between all that reporting and then all the pay transparency reporting that's going on right now, there's a, there are a lot of reporting requirements happening upon employers right now. That is a fantastic summary, Rob. I, I think that we could spend 14 hours talking about the little nitty gritty details about the bill, but I'd like to hear from Andy what the EEOC initiative looks like and in what ways it compares to the legislation in New York. Yeah, we're seeing enough, uh, much different approach coming out of the EEOC. And thanks for having me, by the way. So, you know, unlike in New York, where, you know, we're seeing this sort of very specific approach that they want to take, at the EEOC, what they've been beating the drum on for the last couple of years is just reminding employers that when they use AI or really any kind of computer-assisted tool to make an employment decision, that that's subject to the same rules that would apply if it's a human making the decision. And so it's really been their point of emphasis is just reminding employers that they need to be mindful and monitor the outcomes when they use these tools across all of the, the ways that they make decisions concerning applicants or employees. And Commissioner Keith Sonderling in particular has really been a champion of this. He's done a lot of podcasts. He's done a lot of writing on the topic. And he's he really... Um, it's interesting that he is also an advocate for using AI. I think he's being pragmatic about it. He understands that employers are turning more and more to um, these computer-aided tools to allow them to find candidates, to get their job advertisements out in front of people, to make assessment decisions, and maybe even to help define who are successful employees in their workforce and find talented people to promote. But he also wants employers to be careful about using those tools. And he's got some examples that he likes to go to time and again. You know, as employment lawyers, we know there are really two theories of discrimination, right? You've got disparate treatment, which is an intentional act. And you've got your disparate impact, which is a, a otherwise neutral appearing policy with a negative effect, right? And, you know, the thing with these tools that Commissioner Sonderling and others at the EEOC have been emphasizing is that if you've got a bad actor, AI can allow somebody to uh, impact many more people negatively than they ever could in the past. And similarly, you can find yourself um, in a situation as an employer where your policy seems neutral. And if you're not monitoring it, it can have some negative effects against very large numbers of people before you catch it. So far from trying to define what AI is, 
the EEOC's approach has been basically to say, you know, AI could be a lot of things. In fact, we're going to define this so broadly that it could include any kind of use of a machine to aid your employment processes. But whatever it is, however you define it, make sure you're keeping an eye on it and that you're compliant with EEO laws when you use it. Andy, do you think that at any point the EEOC is going to have to provide a definition of what AI is in order to fulfill its initiatives? I really don't think that they're going to try. I think it's going to be yeah. too slippery, and they'd rather leave themselves the, um, you know, the flexibility to change what that's going to be. And in fact, we just saw in um, their proposed strategic enforcement plan, which they published last month, and which will be in effect for the next five years, some announcement of their intentions of how they intend to use their enforcement authority. And what they've done there is to um, talk broadly about eliminating barriers to recruitment and hiring, and then flagged artificial intelligence and other kinds of machine-aided tools as um, things that employers might be using and which the EEOC will scrutinize if they feel like they're having a negative effect on applicants or employees. So I think that's more likely to be the approach they take. Rather than be specific about it, talk more broadly about areas where these tools might be used and kind of reserving their right to to look under the hood and try to figure out if there's any discriminatory impact from using those tools. Yeah, it seems to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, both Rob and Andy, that the New York City law is really aimed at uh, sort of providing transparency of when a company is using AI, whereas the EEOC is really uh, trying to maintain the playing field while just acknowledging that this other uh, employment tool exists that could cause run-ins with already established anti-discrimination provisions. Rob, I think it looks like you have something to add on the New York City piece. Yeah, I can, I can loosely agree with that. Um, I think New <laughs> I York City... Yeah, no, I I wouldn't say it exactly like that. I'm not sure I have a better way of saying it, but I think you are seeing a lot of laws on New York City's side that are promoting transparency, if not directly as a byproduct of the law. I think there's a component to this local law 144, which has a you know notification and publication component. But I think the law probably is more intended to be aimed at correcting practices that the city council felt were creating a risk of a disparate impact on certain populations. I think the disclosure and notification requirements, you know, they, they are central to the law. So I can't disagree with, with you completely, but I, I would say there is more to it than that. Well, it's probably much which is probably why we could have a 14 hour podcast on this, Rob. Oh, I'd say at least 18 hours, if not more. I mean, geez, man, I, I can, you can, I mean, wound up to chat about this for hours uh, alone, let alone in, in this group setting with the two of you, uh, which are always fun to chat with. You know, the thing about the New York City law, you know, you're, you're asking about the definition of Andy and, and whether the EOC was trying to, to define artificial intelligence. You know, that's one of the challenges in New York City is that it seems to me that the folks on the city council or Department of Consumer and Worker Protection side have an intuitive sense of where they want to get in terms of a definition and the things that they want to regulate and the things they don't want to regulate. The challenge that I've been seeing, at least again, from my personal opinion alone, is that 
they're trying to match up what their intuitive feeling is with the actual words that can be used in a useful manner. And yeah. that's that's sort of been a challenge aligning those two things, because I can tell you so far, the, the couple of iterations of definition that have come out have had unintended consequences of being over inclusive and under inclusive, depending on which words were used and depending on really who you are, you know, that's making that determination an employer and an employee and an academic and the various stakeholders that are opining on these laws have very different objectives and perspectives, which is the lens that they look at the law. Through. So I might say something is over-inclusive and there'll be a dozen people on a, in a different contingency that'll say it's under-inclusive. And that balancing act and that, you know, attempted alignment of where we want to kind of intuitively get to and using useful language to try to articulate that has been, you know, has been a process. Yeah, I think that we're going to need Bill deGrasse Tyson to, to give us a, a definition of what it is. Uh, just just to, to end to wrap this up, so thank you both for being here. This has been a fascinating conversation. I just want to, Thomas Friedman, uh, he wrote a book called Thank You for Waiting, I want to say about a decade ago. And it was about how quickly technology is currently moving and like, hey, let's all take a break and just pause and be okay with waiting for someone being late, right? And right now, this seems like where we are, right? We're just, no one is able to articulate a comfortable definition of what AI and employment is. So we're all waiting, right? We're all waiting and talking and formulating. So I hope that at some point, we can have both of you guys back here to speak to both of those initiatives and maybe we'll have further developments. And just for the audience out there, we're going to continue doing podcast series on AI and employment because it's such a burgoning issue an area that employers are concerned about, the federal agencies are concerned about, the state houses are concerned about, and at some point, I'm pretty sure Congress is going to be concerned about. So thank you, Rob and Andy, for joining us. It's been a pleasure, and we'll talk to you both soon. Thanks so much, Scott. Great opportunity to be here. Always, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Scott.